heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'll pour out your spirit upon us. Help us to hear and receive your word. Take it into our hearts and show it forth in our lives to your glory, honor, and praise. We ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So you need to be on page 1137. <clears throat> a little while ago, I was invited to, uh, to join the team here that were looking for a new vicar for you. Um, and um, uh, I was sitting next to Andy. And Andy said, we're having real difficulty finding somebody for the 13th of August. Oh, said I, without thinking, that's strange. Um, uh, in my rotor, coincidentally, I found I've actually got nothing to do. <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history, so I'm here. Anyway, um, if you look at our passage, I want to go a little bit wider. I wasn't too sure quite what we were doing, whether we were actually working our way through Romans, but it's the lectionary reading. So I need, to, need you to look a little bit. I know last week um, you had some of the, uh, the threads of chapter 9, but there's a second thread to chapter 9 which feeds into chapter 10. So we'll look at that in just a moment. Um, if you go back to, um, to, uh, to 9.30... Uh, which is just above the bit that we've just had read, where it says, Israel's unbelief. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness is that by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were by works. Uh, it's been very famous uh, this last weekend for the, uh, the sport and for the winners that didn't win. Um, in both cases, alas, you know, and isn't it a great shame that their uh, remarkable race um, has, uh, has ended with, uh, you know, somebody said, and he didn't manage to make the triple gold. Not he's got five golds and one silver. No, he didn't manage to make the triple. Such is life. But uh, you can hear the language of racing in this passage uh, as we lead into chapter 10. St. Paul says to his people, listen, you've been racing like Mo Farah or Usain Bolt, and you didn't get to the winning post. But the dreadful thing is, the Gentiles who weren't pursuing this, actually, they've got there to the winning post. If you could just imagine um, uh, Prince Harry managing to beat Usain Bolt. That's a pretty good example, actually, of what Paul is driving at. Let me give you a little, uh, little story from a long time ago when I was doing my second curacy, um, and there's a place called Cheadle Hume. We had a playgroup, and the playgroup was attached to the church, um, and the ladies there were very, very dedicated. But we realized we had a problem, because as we sat down and opened the books, we realized that actually the playgroup was making a loss because of the amount we were charging and the... Um, uh, the number of staff you had to have on, on the ratio determined by law. So we sat the leaders down and he tried to explain this to them. And the, the beautiful, lovely lady said, okay, okay, we'll do an extra session. <laughs> and the rest of the readership team went, looked at each other and went, the more sessions you do, the more you're going to lose. You cannot win this race running the way you're running it. <laughs> you know? And that is exactly the picture that Paul is painting. You can't win the race by the way you're running it. 
is what he's saying to his people. And that's where we pick up, because what he's been saying is that there is a conviction going on here. Now, our opening line sounds positive, doesn't it? Moses writes this about uh, righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Now, the but that follows it should give away um, that there's something going wrong here. The but is telling you that that won't work. Lots of people think, lots of people think about you as Christians, that you are simply people who are trying very hard to be very, very righteous and holy. And when they discover that you're not, they all go, what a bunch of hypocrites, and they won't listen to anything you have to say. But of course, you know something very different. You're not being saved by how good you are just as well. I'm not being saved by how good I am, just as well. You're being saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and by the faith through which you receive that grace. That is what's saving you, not your good works. And the more that you try and make yourself good and perfect and lift yourself up, the more that you actually reach the point where you failed. And what's worse, the harder you try in this race, by the law alone, the more condemnation you bring on yourself, because if you think about it, somebody who thinks that they've got to the point where they are good enough for God through their own hard work has just added some extra layers of problems to their life because they think they're good enough for God. They're self-righteous. They're full of themselves, they're holier than thou, and they're a real problem to the people amongst whom they live. They're not even that nice to know sometimes. They're very judgmental. Well, I wouldn't do that. No, but you've got other problems. So that is the conviction that Paul is driving at. If you run this race this way, and there are some people who call themselves Christians who think they can actually be good enough for God, if you run this race this way, you will lose. It's the ones who aren't running the race are winning. That's the bizarre thing. So, see what Paul goes on to say. He says, the person who does these things will live by them, but the implication he's saying is, and die by them. There is condemnation. There is conviction. But, he says, and he goes on, he's using a catena of um, Old Testament uh, quotes um, to drive the point home. And you can see them all listed at the, bottom, at the foot of the page in your Bible. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart that is to bring Christ down, or, uh, sorry, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, implication is that he's saying, Jesus has already drawn very near to you. The word of God is here in God's word written. So in God's word written, we find God's word, the Lord Jesus. And by finding the Lord Jesus, he chose to come from heaven to earth. We sang that bit. He chose to be raised from the dead for our resurrection, for our glorification, for our joy and our, our salvation. And so, in choosing to do that, you don't have to strive to bring him up or bring him down. It's not your problem. Instead, all you need to do is to move from conviction to confession. I know we had a confession, but it's not that kind of confession that I really mean. It's not, I've done all sorts of dreadful things, and therefore, please have mercy on me, which 
It does work. That's not a bad thing. But nonetheless, here's the confession. He says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Now, he deliberately uses this phrase and then so builds on it. And you'll see that he reverses it because he wants to actually eventually get say, um, in your heart and therefore on your lips. But it's concerning the faith that we proclaim. If you, if you declare with your mouth, or another phrase would be, if you confess with your mouth, if you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no doubt, no hesitation, no preconditions. Now, I don't know about everybody in the congregation today. You know your own heart and mind, and you know whether you know the Lord Jesus as your friend and your saviour, or whether, in fact, actually, you're still trying to make yourself holy for God. But here's the great joy. And this is a joy we as established Christians need to hear anyway. We need to remind ourselves of the conditions under which God accepted us. Was it because we were super good? No. Was it because we were really attractive? Well, probably for most of you, but definitely not for me. You know, good looking? Okay. Um, uh, um, really super brainy? Uh, actually, the super brainy have a real problem sometimes in just simply listening to the simple gospel message. They need to make it complicated because it's just not simple enough. Uh, to, it's just not clever enough for them. Uh, and so you get people in universities who are pulling things apart instead of stepping back and going, wow, you know. It's like somebody who looks at a rainbow and starts trying to sort of see if they can see the drops of the water in the rainbow. Look at the rainbow! Don't look at the drops of the water. Um, are there any terms or conditions at all? None whatsoever. Believe in your heart that Jesus was, risen, that Jesus was raised from the dead. Confess with your lips. Jesus is Lord. And that's both an objective and a subjective confession. It's saying, first of all, he is Lord. Full stop. He is Lord. He is Lord of everything. He made everything. He started everything. He sustains everything. He'll be there to the end. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Lord. That is the objective reality. As we're told elsewhere by St. Paul, every knee shall bow and say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody's got to do it. Just some people will do it with joy. Our Lord! And others will do it through gritted teeth. The Lord. You want to be the ones in the first category, really. Trust me on that one. But he is the Lord. There is no doubt at all. The confession is Jesus is Lord. It's very interesting. Uh, when I was at theological college, um, there was a guy there called Guy Foots which I always thought was perhaps he was really Guy Fawkes in disguise, but, you know, anyway, he's Guy Foods. And um, he was a great, great guy, but uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to say that bit. Uh, but um, uh, he, uh, he's, he actually said, you know, it's really difficult to get anybody to say Jesus is Lord if they don't mean it. He said it's a good test. And he had somebody who was, you know, who was a theologian, was saying this and this and this and this and this, you know, very clever. He said, so will you say Jesus is Lord? Yes, he's very important. But will you say he's Lord? He's, um, he's, uh, he's, he's, um, 
He's a visible image of the invisible God. Yes, but is he Lord? And the man would not say the phrase. Now, it is, I realise, a little bit simplistic. You will get somebody who will end up saying that. But on the whole, people are not prepared to say that because they recognise they're making a confession which actually has a consequence. But I want you to just, first of all, rest in that wonderful warmth that you can see in this passage. I know St. Paul so often gets bad press, doesn't he? You know, he's sort of grumpy and he's, and he's wagging his finger at people and all the rest of it. And yet at the very heart of his letter, here to the Romans, he's saying, listen, good news. Jesus calls you and he calls you without preconditions. You don't have to already done the preparation course before you can be saved. You don't have to done the baptism preparation course. You don't actually have to have hair. I had it when I was called. I just wore it away. I can't think how, you know. But anyway, um, there are no conditions at all. He just calls you to trust him. Jesus is Lord. Of course, as soon as you've actually made that declaration, you know that you belong to him. He is Lord, and that will have consequences. Just one little thing in, in passing, by the way. It is with your heart you believe, and you are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It is a clarion call for a simplicity. God calls us to trust him and to walk with him. As scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Uh, and then finally, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. Now, I know uh, some of you have struggled in the past, particularly in this book of Romans, there's a thing called predestination. And some people actually think that predestination is one of those boo words you'll find it is in the Articles of the Church of England. It's in the 39 Articles. But the Articles show exactly how we're supposed to understand this word, predestination. It tells us in the Articles that predestination means uh, is a doctrine of sweet savour to any believing Christian. Why? Because what it tells you is that when you have professed with your lips and believed in your heart, you won't fall away because it is God's grip on you that is pulling you to salvation, not your grip on God. You know, the image is, um, uh, if you're a parent and you've ever crossed your child across the road, and you say, what do you say to your child? Take my hand, yes? And the child takes your hand. And to all intents and purposes, the child, if you ask the child at this point, who's holding whose hand? They'd say, I'm holding daddy's hand or mummy's hand. But as you step towards the road, that nutcase in the car comes zooming past, you know, 35 miles an hour in a 30-mile zone or whatever, um, calming a bit closer or whatever. And what happens next? You pull the child back, don't you? Who's holding who? You said, take my hand. The child will tell you, they've taken your hand. They are holding on to you. But the reality is, you're holding on to them. That's the picture that we have. That's what predestination actually means. And that's why nobody but nobody but nobody can ever say, oh, I am predestined not to believe in God. Because what does it say here? 
It makes it abundantly clear. If you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, you will be saved. Did it say anywhere there that you might actually not be able to use that phraseology? It says it's open to all. It's open to all. What God does with the other side is up to God. That's his sacred mystery. But you have two guarantees. One, if you will come, you may come. And two, once you know that you belong to the Lord, you belong to the Lord. You're his property. You said, you're my Lord. Of course, the consequences, you're going to have to live like that to say he's your Lord in your daily life. But that's moved into a different category. That's about living an obedient and holy life in response to God's salvation. It's not in the salvation category. It's not in the justification. It's in the sanctification. Now, one or two of you have still got a long way to go in order to become truly holy saints. But you're probably still ahead of me in that race. (laughs) So some of us are perhaps a little bit closer to the image of Christ. That, of course, is the consequence of the task, isn't it? What did Jesus do? Jesus did a couple of key things in his own ministry before he died on the cross for us. He shared the good news. Now, he shared the good news with anybody who was willing to listen. He shared the good news with people who were outsiders. He shared the good news with people who were, for instance, the Samaritan woman, that nobody... He's talking to a woman and a Samaritan? We'll have to clean him off later on. Teflon Jesus, you can't corrupt him. He doesn't need cleaning off. He touches the leper and embraces the leper. He speaks to the lady taken in adultery. What happened to the guy, one wants to know. He speaks to the lady. He embraces, he speaks to Gentiles, the Syrophoenician woman who says, yes, but Lord, I'll live on the crumbs. And he says, yes. And the crumbs are a rich feast. He's the one who talks and embraces all the people around. And there's the consequence. You see, that way is a way of conviction. Instead, you need the conviction of the confession. Jesus is Lord. He's raised from the dead for our our justification. And he is Lord. As soon as you've got that, you move on to the consequences. And what is the consequence? You are sent. The whole point of the salvation of God's people is that you are sons and daughters of God. Well, we have to use the phrase sons of God even for the ladies. Why? Not because we're trying to be sexist or weird like that, but because actually you take Christ's place in God's economy. He's taken your place on the cross. You have taken his place in the heart of the Father. There's room in the Father's heart for the Lord, for, for Jesus as well, don't worry. But essentially, for that reason, you have been adopted as God's children. And therefore, what are you supposed to look like? Well, you're supposed to look like um, the Son of God. You're supposed to look like Jesus. When somebody sees you, they haven't read their Bible 
They don't know whether there's any conditions on them being made welcome by Jesus. All they can read is they're Christian. You, you for them are Jesus. And that's how it's meant to be. Hmm. Now you're probably thinking we all should have had the confession after the sermon. <laughs> because that is what we need to confess each time, is our weakness in being Jesus for other people. That the more we actually grow in love and knowledge of the Lord, the more we will look like Jesus, and people will see him in us. And so, his consequences are outlined. How then will they call on the one they have not believed in? How will they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The word preaching here is not very helpful in a, in a sense. It's not preaching so much as declaring. Um, and, how, and, how, and how can anyone declare, let's translate, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want you to pause for a moment. Think of the person who shared the good news with you. When you had actually come to terms with what they had shared with you, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, what do you now think about that person? Are they somebody who's really important in your own walk? Somebody you look back and you say, I am so grateful to the Lord that he sent, mine was called Win Harmon, that he sent Win Harmon, who didn't even realize she was witnessing to me because I saw Jesus in her and I knew she had something. As an atheist, I knew she had something that I didn't have. And so, without her knowing that she was actually instrumental in my salvation, she became the good news, the beautiful feet. That is the consequence. How you're going to now live in the light of the grace that God has poured out upon you. You can't win the race by running that way. But you can have the confession that Jesus is Lord and then live in the consequences of his lordship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you'll pour out your spirit upon us in such a way that we may indeed walk your walk, live your life, and show your love. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus, who we wish to show in our lives. Amen. Amen.